Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. Let's kind of jump back into what uh, God uh, has been walking us through over the last several weeks. And again, um, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you recognize that the Lord has given us the opportunity to study a, an Old Testament thing that, that helps us look forward uh, to a New Testament truth as well. And I, I've just thoroughly enjoyed the growth uh, that God has given through uh, in my personal life through this sermon series. But let me preface by saying this. Um, it is great to be informed of something. It, it, it's much better to walk in, in truth. Um, today's message has the potential of being heavy. And you've come to me and you've said, Pastor, we have thoroughly enjoyed what we have learned from this series and what we've learned about God and His holiness and how much He desires to be among His people. Well, if you enjoyed that, you're going to have to accept today. Does that make sense? Because sometimes the information we gain from the Bible is helpful and it's encouraging, but sometimes the Bible, uh, better statement, allows uh, the, the rubber to meet the road. And sometimes when that happens, it's heavy. And sometimes there's a recognition that somewhere in my life, uh, there's potential that change has to happen individually and maybe change even within the confines of this assembly here at New Life Baptist Church. And this is going to be one of those messages. And so I preface that by saying, if you're a guest and you're trying to get context to what I'm about to say, and you walk out of here thinking, wow, that was a little much, then, then you have to go back and look at and listen to lessons one through seven to understand how we got here. And, and that's so important. But for the believer today, I want you to please let the holiness of God connect to your thinking and to your heart. All right. So um, we, we proposed three questions when we launched this series eight weeks ago. Question number one, why the tabernacle? Why the tabernacle? And we answered that by saying this, the tabernacle reveals the heart of God and the heart of God is to be present among his people. So we proved through a tabernacle that God moved in the direction of sinful people, although he was a holy God. The second question we proposed eight weeks ago was this, why all the details? I mean, I get a tabernacle, a place where God can be worshipped, but why so many chapters and why so many intricate details and laws and things to perform and actions to partake of and certain colors of garments and, I mean, certain types of wood? I mean, why the details? Why is it a big deal? And we answered that question with three distinct answers. Number one, separation. God is a holy God. And since he is a holy God and meeting with people, there would have to be a way a holy God could stay separate from an unholy people. Secondly, in order to get 
to a holy God, there's got to be a process, and that was reconciliation. If I don't have a covering of blood to reconcile me from my sin so that I can approach a holy God, then I cannot enter in. And that's why there's separation. And then thirdly, once separation is overcome and reconciliation happens, then adoration begins. I can't truly worship God unless I truly understand who he is and what he's done. And again, we discussed all of that in previous lessons, all right? So why the tabernacle? Because the heart of God's to move among his people. Secondly, why all the details? Separation, reconciliation, and adoration. The third question, and, and we, we, we started answering that two weeks ago on Christmas Sunday. The third question, why does it matter now? I mean, seriously, it's the 21st century. Why are we studying something that happened, you know, 4,000 years ago, right? And so um, why, why does it matter now? And here's the answer to that. Because this whole tabernacle deal reveals the hope of man that is found in two things or really three, we discussed two, two weeks ago, remember? Salvation, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to dwell among his people. He became the tent, the tabernacle, and, and they took him to a cross and he shed his blood to give us reconciliation to cover our sin so that we could go in unto him and worship him and fellowship with him. So um, salvation, relationship, and identification. And identification is what we're going to close with today. Why does it matter now? Because without that picture, I don't see Jesus later and the salvation he brings, which provides relationship with him, which gives me my identification. And we're going to dive into this today. Now, let's recap really quickly what we discussed two weeks ago by getting an overview of the big picture. So hop in the helicopter with me. Let's pull up really high and look down on the big picture. Um, it, it wasn't at the cross. It wasn't 2,000 years ago that Jesus went, you know what? I just got this new idea. Uh, man's not as bad as I thought. I'm going to move in their direction. That is, that is not, it's never been the fulfillment of the plan uh, or, or the, the beginning of the plan. It was the fulfillment of the plan. The plan started way back in Genesis, okay? Um, around 4,000, 4,004 BC, uh, the Bible says that God said in Genesis, in the beginning, let there be light. Boom, there was light. Let there be fish of the sea and fowl of the air and pow, it happened. Let there be herb yielding seed and plants giving forth fruit and the ground begin to produce life. Let there be um, days and nights and seasons and he set all of it in motion. Then on the sixth day, God said this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. He said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And so God designs man with his own hands, the Bible says. He forms man in his image and his likeness, which means this. The book of Hebrews says that, that man was made a little lower than the angels. Therefore, were made higher than the animal kingdom. 
When God made us, he made us not to be um, a DNA specimen, a specimen, although we do have DNA within us, but our DNA code is not like the code of an animal that does not have the decision-making intellectual process that we do as human beings. God made us in his image, after his likeness, body, soul, spirit, um, this cavity, intellect, the think and rationalize, spirit made to want to worship something. God designs us in his image. And the reason is, the Bible says, for two specific ideas. Notice here in the text. And God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. The idea of image is the idea of representation. Our word today, identification. Let's make man... That will be a representation of me that is different than everything else that I've created. And then he said this, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. So this man that I've made in my likeness for representation and identification, it's going to be the one that is now going to be the representative uh, by which I will work through and fellowship with and have communion, and he's going to do my work and, and, and fulfill my plan. And, and that's how God designed us. But he doesn't stop there. Man goes crazy. Man goes haywire. The flood is sent. Man is wiped off the earth. Adam and Eve and, and their race gone except through Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And now Noah and his children are, are replenishing the earth. And now man's pride has gotten crazy. They're going to build this tower to get higher than God. God takes that moment to humble them, to scatter them through languages. And then we find ourselves here a little bit later. God makes a covenant promise with Abraham for relationship and identification. It's not but almost 2,000 years later that God calls Abraham, and here's what he says. Abraham, it's through you that I'm going to come and meet and bless the world. It is through you and your family that I'm going to give blessing. And so we see now God moving um, from the image bearer uh, down to Abraham. The Bible says, and I will make of thee a great nation. He's talking to Abraham. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And so God chooses this man uh, to use him to, again, for representation, identification, relationship. All right? Let's keep going forward. Now God's going to take Abraham and his sons and build a nation. Abraham, gives, uh, he and his wife give birth to Isaac. Isaac and his wife give birth to Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob's name is changed. God says, I'm going to change your name from Jacob to, anybody know? Israel. Israel now has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel, the Jewish nation as we know it today. And it's through this nation God says, I'm going to bless the whole world. And I'm not doing this because you're cool. I'm not doing this because you're a big shot. I'm, I'm, matter of fact, I'm doing this because um, I'm going to show my greatness through your smallness. And now a country the size of Maine um, rocks the world scene. And it has since God designed them. We, we see the work of God, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all that are upon the face of the earth. God's, God's moving in man's direction now through Abraham and through Israel. Then the tabernacle. 
That's our current study right now, the tabernacle. So, so now these people are in existence, and God's going to move further in their direction, the heart of God, to be present among his people. And he creates this place called the tabernacle, which will eventually become the temple. Okay, and, and, and I'm not going to take the time, I can't today, to go back and kind of rebuild everything we've studied about the tabernacle. But you're going to see the connection now in just a minute as God continues to move forward. From the tabernacle and the temple, the next thing that is to come is the Messiah. God with us. Jesus became the tent of dwelling, the tabernacle, and moved right here in our midst. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of, of, the, of, of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus, right here, Emmanuel, with us. Then, then what's after that? What comes next? Jesus has come. He dies. He is buried. He rises again, and he ascends and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He rips the veil, letting you and I know that we no longer have to go to the priest. That, that, that process of tabernacle that he set up so long ago is now removed as far as the old tent is concerned. Jesus becomes the new access to God through the veil of his flesh. Remember that passage? Now you can get to God not through a tent or a tabernacle, but you get to God through me. I am the high priest, and I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. All right? So we're, we're kind of getting caught up, and someday, someday, praise God, it's not going to be finished, us image bearers of Christ, the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise, Jesus is going to come back, stand upon the Mount of Olives, he's going to conquer for a thousand years, and then new heaven, new earth, putting us back in the beginning where he intended it to be in the book of Genesis. Do you see the whole circle? This is the big picture that we're getting. God wanting relationship with his people. God designing us to be representatives of him so that the world can identify him through this, through us. And this is where we are today. Now, we're going to kind of launch this morning with four questions. And uh, Josh, you got the mic ready. And so you are, you are the class and um, we've got uh, Reagan and Bryson, Tiffany, and others in the back and, uh, that, have, that have been off to college recently. And at the end of every semester, at the end of every semester, Tiffany, we have the what? The, the final exam. The final exam is uh, questions to see if you've retained uh, what you were taught over uh, the semester. Now, and I know some of you are guests. Uh, don't get nervous because I'm not going to call on you. Okay, but for the class that's, that's been able to be a part of most of this sermon series, um, I'm, looking for my, uh, I'm looking for the teacher's pet right now, um, that, that stellar student that is going to answer some questions. By the way, I, I've never had that feeling myself, okay? I've never been the teacher's pet. Uh, but I'm looking for that one today. So we're going to ask four questions. I want you to write the answers in your notes in front of you, but I want some of you to please raise your hand and volunteer an answer based upon these questions. And uh, just for the sake of live streaming, I know we could probably hear some of you um, without a mic, but would you wait to the mic to get there so we can make sure people at home and those who are watching can hear as well. Okay, are you ready? Final exam. Here we go. Number one. What has the tabernacle revealed to you about God and his people over the last 
uh, eight weeks that we've been studying this. What has the tabernacle revealed to you about God and or about his people um, since we have been studying this? Raise your hand and give me some of your answers. Hold your hands up high. Ms. Hayes, be sure you make them uh, very, very uh, to the point. Okay? His love for us. Okay. And simplicity. His desire uh, and love for us. That's good. For, 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 for the people of God to move in their direction. Right? Somebody else. What is this revealed? That's great. That's a good answer. What is this revealed? Somebody hold your hand up high. Come on, class. Doug. All right, for, <clears throat> for me, excuse me, his, uh, it's revealed his holiness okay. and right. his people's inability to get by and, and live a sin-free life without him. Right, that is such a spot-on answer. Over the last eight weeks, if you cannot walk out of this building and say the one thing that I have come to the conclusion on is that God is holy and that his holiness sets him apart from everybody else, you have missed the whole class. Right, you were like me in college. You slept through it, or you just didn't show up. Right, um, and, and because the holiness of God, the desire of God, the love of God uh, to move toward His people. Somebody else. What what is something that you have learned? And and, and as Doug said too, the uh, inability of mankind because of their sin to to meet God on that standard. Somebody else. Any other thoughts? One more. What have you recognized through this study of the tabernacle about God and or about His people? Somebody else. Come on. We had a, the, first, the first service was smaller than this one and had people blowing hands up all over the place. All right. Uh, uh, somebody else. Yes, sir. Down front. We're going to give Josh a workout today. That I'm 100% dependent on God and God alone. Correct. You couldn't do it the way you wanted to do it. In order to, 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 to uh, get to God and to meet God where he was, you had to do it up, up on his plan and direction. Okay, here's question number two. I, I want our thinkers going. If there's one thing we know about New Life Baptist Church, we're not cattle being herded through a fence. We want to see Scripture. We want to understand what God is saying and be sure we're comprehending uh, the Word of God. Question number two. Here it goes. Did God require anything... As a result of his holiness. Did God require anything as a result of his holiness? And the answer would be yes, right? What are those things that he required? Okay, so raise your hand. What are the things that God required since he was holy of his people in order to, to meet him? Can somebody give me? Yes, ma'am. Here we come. We got two over there. All right, so here's the first one. He requires us to be separated from the world. Okay, so we've, we've got to come away from where we are and, and meet him where he is, which separates us from the regular to that area of holiness with God. Yes, ma'am. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, that's it. And specifically in the, in the first service, um, blood sacrifice, remember? It, it wasn't just bringing fruit and vegetables. There had to be a blood sacrifice. And by the way, by the way, some people say, what, man, Christianity is such a bloody religion. And you want to know why we say that? It's because when we think blood, we think death. death. I see it on your lips. But that is not the way we think of blood in the Bible, and that's not what the Bible teaches about blood. Matter of fact, there are multiple scriptures that say the life is in the blood. Life is in blood. Um, without blood, you can't have 
life. So life is in the blood. So it's not the death of the animal that is the, 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 the key element. It's the covering of blood and the giving of life that is, that is the key element. And that is a beautiful thing. All right, so next question. Has God changed? Uh, let's, let's do our best to answer this one all together, class. One, two, three. No, God has not changed. Okay, so here's what I, I mean by that question. If God demanded sacrifice then, then he demands sacrifice now. If God demanded obedience then, the same God demands obedience now, if, watch, stay with me. This is, where it's, this is where it's going to get a little rough. If God demanded holiness then, what does God demand now? God hasn't changed. We have changed. God hasn't changed. And we can try to butter this up and candy coat it and excuse it away because of the world we live in, but God has changed not changed. He hasn't changed. He's not more lax today than he was then. He's not more casual now than he was then. He's not more laid back now than he was then. He hated sin then and he hates sin now. He hated unholiness then. He hates unholiness now. He has not changed. Do you understand that? It is so important in order to go forward that the whole wonderful key of the tabernacle was not to say, oh, that's cool. What a neat procedure. It is to say, no, God is holy. He is righteous. He wants to move toward man, but, but he demands something out of man, and that is holiness. We see that all throughout Scripture. And my fourth question then is this. Think about it. Question number four. Where is the tabernacle or temple today? Where's the tabernacle and temple today? I, I see everybody pointing. It's in us. We, we specifically who? The believer. We're the tabernacle today. God never got rid of the tabernacle. I want you to know that this is not an Old Testament thing that's been done away with. It's an Old Testament thing that's pointing to a New Testament truth. And the New Testament truth is this. The Holy Spirit is just as real and powerful and holy as he's ever been. And instead of residing in a tabernacle made with hands, he's now residing in the tabernacle inside of the believer. Which brings us to our main message today. And here's what we're going to dive into. Why does it matter now? Why does it matter now? First of all, we recognized two weeks ago it matters now because of our salvation that is seen uh, through Christ. And it matters for the relationship that we have with him because of the work Christ did upon the cross. But thirdly today, it's our identification it's how we identify ourselves. It's through the work of Christ upon the cross, and now we are the temple. And so God, God allows Paul to write a letter to a church that was struggling. 
If you know anything about Paul's epistles, there are some very encouraging letters he wrote. Then there are some corrective letters he wrote. And the corrective letter is 1 Corinthians. The church of Corinth had become so carnal. They were a church that started strong and well, but now are finding themselves in a position where they begin to allow the world to come back in and to influence a lot of their lifestyles and their manner of living, their conduct, their, um, their belief system. And so Paul's got to write a very corrective letter to them. And, and, and it's not that I'm saying that new life needs to be corrected, although it might there might need to be some revamping of some thinking um, as far as the world and holiness is concerned. But for us as individuals, as we recognize that we are the temple, the tabernacle, and we're going to see that in this passage. So open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, and we're going to begin with verse number 19. Ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. And, and th- this, is, this is going to be really cool for you because now, the, the, you might have read this in the past and it, it, it may not have carried uh, with it a lot of understanding, but now understanding tabernacle and temple, uh, we're going to be able to understand this passage and what it means uh, so much more. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 19. So this is a, this is a very carnal church he's written to and they've allowed... Um, Um, sexual misconduct, as well as um, worship misconduct, uh, as well as false doctrine is all kind of permeated back into the church, and and now he's addressing it. So so, so you'll see this in the passage. What? Now, by the way, let me pause there and say, notice the punctuation that comes after the word what. It's not an exclamation point. It wasn't what? (laughs) Right? It was What? What? Seriously? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? The the God that rested above the cherubs in the Old Testament is now resting in you. Okay? Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So number one, our identification, if if, if we want to find out what God really means in this passage, we can look at the blueprint of the tabernacle. And since God's the same then, we can look forward to the blueprint of the temple that now rests inside of us, okay? And, And this God is the same God yesterday, today, forever, and we understand that. So therefore, blueprint uh, part number one is that in the tabernacle, it was all about reconciliation. Our identification is found in reconciliation. Reconciliation gives us our identity. Ready? Watch this. When the lamb was brought to the tabernacle gate and its blood uh, was spilt into the basin and the blood was poured upon the altar, that blood was a covering. That means the Israelite that came to the gate, his sin is no longer what is predominant. The blood of Christ is what is now predominant, okay? His identification has changed. He's no longer the guy who accidentally stole stole somebody's cattle. He's now the guy covered by the what? The blood. He's been reconciled. His sin has been atoned for. Okay? The Bible says what? 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? And ye are not your own, for ye are what? Bought with a price. And what was that price? The blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, shedding his blood upon uh, the cross, covering your sin, conquering death, hell, and the grave. You don't identify as Ray McCormick. You now identify as a son of the King of God whose blood and sin has been covered. You're no longer an adulterer. You're a believer that has been cleansed and washed by the blood. Your identity has changed. And, and, And what is so important, that is so frustrating about the church today is we care more about sticking one foot in the world and identifying with them and sticking the other foot into salvation and identifying with that. And it just doesn't work. It's never worked. It won't work. It can't work. So stop. Teenagers and high school students, quit caring about what everybody thinks about you. You are a child of the king. You've been covered by the blood of the lamb. You are set apart unto God as holy. It doesn't matter what your coworkers think. From the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, God has demanded that we live holy, righteous lives. That is the identifying work that sets us apart. Look, we like to smile and say, hey, pastor, thanks for this cool teaching on the tabernacle. It gave me an idea of the holiness of God. Are you ready? We, as God's people, are that representation so that when the world looks inside and sees on the other side of the wall, they recognize that inside of that wall is a separated people, a separated place that carries about the holiness of God. We we can't play the game. I can tell you how many people I've had conversations with that said, oh, pastor, you're just going a little bit too far. Why don't you tell that to God? Why don't you tell that to the scriptures? I can see a Hebrew walking up and saying, ah, this is ridiculous. I mean, come on. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, it's just a little sin. I mean, God's not really, he doesn't really care about um, if I shed blood or not. I mean, he's just thankful for what I can bring to him. That is hogwash. It is baloney. It is not Bible and it's not holiness. The reason for the tabernacle is God wanted to meet with us. And the reason for the details is he was holy. Therefore, be ye holy, saith the Lord God. Can I say this? From the pulpit to the pew. If there's anything this series has done in my life, is to recognize how far I've slipped away from the holiness of God. Because I begin to bend under the pressures of people and my own desires and wants. We are a holy people covered by the blood of the lamb. Our sins have been forgiven. And we can say, God, I am yours. I am thine, O Lord. I am at peace with you because my sins had been forgiven. And God, what you died for, help me not to continue to commit, but help me to strive for holiness. Please, God. It, it, it is the identifier. It, 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 it's our identity. Number two, it's our security. Which are God's. I love that phrase. We are God's. We are in his hands. The fact that you're not cool enough cannot take away your salvation. 
But pastor, I'm just really nervous. If, if I live holy and separate unto God, I, 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 I just won't be as cool as everybody else. But you're going to be secure. You're God's. You're his representative. You're his representation. But, 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 but pastor, if, if, if I give in and, and, and I don't go to the cool places and hang out with the cool people and, and, and smoke the cool stuff and drink the cool things and, 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 and if I don't watch the uh, um, you know, stuff that is like an abomination to God, then I won't fit in. I won't have anything to talk about when me and my friends sit around and talk. Hey, you've been separated. Share the gospel. They are dying on their way to hell. That's why we have been set apart. It is our identifier. Would you rather watch a cool movie with filthy language or would you rather see them in eternity with a heavenly father? Because the same blood that covered you then can cover them. And we have been set apart. You see what I'm saying? When I said, hey, we can kind of celebrate the pretty stuff. But is this right here that gives us our security in Christ that I am his and he is mine. And we are set apart unto an amazing God who wants to fill us with his power and do through us what we cannot do for ourselves because we're not living for us. We're living for him. And we're, we're basing that upon his promises. That's what we just sang about. Great is your faithfulness, the promises. It's not ours, it's his. He's never failed us. He hasn't failed us yet, and he will not fail us. He has never failed. He is faithful. Do you see it now? He's like, if I'd have known this is where we're going to end up. Well, God's plan just doesn't start and stop. He is an amazing God. He's worthy of our time and attention. Number two, our identification is found in reconciliation, and that is our identity the covering of blood, and it's our security. When God sees me, he doesn't see me. He sees his son. Number two, it's found in adoration. Once that sacrifice of that blueprint was done, adoration happens. We move past, and this again for the people who haven't been here, in the tabernacle courtyard, uh, the blood is spilled and it's dabbed upon the altar and sprinkled for the covering of sin. The animal is burnt, and then the priest from there uh, take the blood and they cleanse their hands at the, at the laver, and then they go through the first curtain into that outer room before the Holy of Holies, and in that outer room there's a menorah and an altar of incense and a table of showbread, and when they move into that area, that's when adoration takes place. Worship. Worthship. That's where it happens, inside this spot. And that is the blueprint that we're going to follow. Because the same thing is required today as the temple. Now, now watch the verse. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Why? For ye are bought with the price, redeemed, a payment made. Therefore, ready? Therefore. Therefore what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I think this passage is absolutely clear and amazing. Once I move past that reconciliation phase, I move into the adoration phase. And man, because of what God's done, 
I, I know that there are some of us in here that you were never a drunkard and an alcoholic or uh, never in drugs and you've never committed adultery and you were saved at the sweet age of five or seven or 10 or 11 and, you, and you've been in church all your life. That is worthy of praise. Just ask the drunkard. Just ask the guy that's a dope addict. Ask the guy whose family is rid apart by adultery. He said, well, I don't really have anything to be thankful for because I've never really sinned. Sit down with someone who's been through it. And your conversation will be, oh God, thank you for saving me at five. Thank you for taking my life and keeping me from sin and wickedness. Thank you that I don't have to share stories with my children about drunkenness and adultery. I don't have thoughts of immorality and pornography in my mind. And God, thank you. Thank you. I adore you. I want to worship you and serve you. You have my life. Or opposite. You've been ripped out of a life of sin. And you see and feel the joy of being saved. And now you just want to adore God. I want to worship him. I want to serve him. I want to give him my life. This is what the text is talking about. It's found in adoration. The same thing the priest did back then is the same thing we do now. We adore God. We glorify him through worship. Our treasures are laid up in heaven, not here on earth. We're seeking him we're not worshiping idols, but we're worshiping an almighty God. And then secondly, we adore him by, by serving him. By serving him. Ready? Quickly, quickly. The priest would go in and he would make sure the lamp stayed lit. Glorify him in your body, which is God's. Be sure your light continues to glow. Be sure the people at work recognize that you are different, set apart by the way you talk, act, live, walk, look. It's our identifier. Make sure you're serving him in the service of the gospel, and that sweet smell of your service is going up to heaven from that altar of incense. Lord, before I move into the holy place, I'm here to serve you. I just want you to smell. The Bible uh, says serving God is like a sweet smell, a sweet aroma to God. Or making sure you're at the table of showbread and you're feeding upon the word of God. But remember, the office of the priest was not just to consume the bread, but was to replace the bread so that somebody else could consume it. Isn't that beautiful? serving God. Lord, I love you. I'm serving you. I don't care about this life. I don't care about money. I don't care about pleasures. I just want my light to be lit. I want my service to be smelled. And I want to be, uh, I want to consume. I want to consume who you are. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is God's. You are not your own for you are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God. Worship him in spirit and in body. Boy, that's where it gets hard. Because it's one thing to show up for church. It's another thing to show up with a good attitude. I can't tell you how many people I've watched, and I think, man, your aroma stinks. I can't believe I have to do I don't. I, I have to serve God. It, no, no, the Bible says glorify him in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Make sense? So, so, so let's do this this morning really quickly, really quickly. It's a, my life is a pie. We're all familiar with pie charts, aren't we? we? We've got that visual, okay? 
Can we pie chart our life? Time devoted to glorifying and worshiping God, serving him versus everything else that goes on in our life. How big's your sliver of pie? Uh, here's the illustration. I got up this morning at 5 a.m. No alarm went off. I just woke up. It's normally the time I kind of come to and, 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 and wake up. Got up and uh, went downstairs, made me a little cup of coffee, sat down on the, the recliner and, and opened up uh, Fox News for about 10 minutes. Kinda, I don't read any article. I don't know if you're like me. I just scroll through the headlines to see what's going on in the world, right? I, it, it's going to be hard-pressed to find an article that I really click on and read the article. So what's going on in the world? Okay. I opened up Facebook. I started to scroll for just a second, probably about 60 seconds. Still dark in the room. Christmas tree. Yeah, our Christmas tree is still up because we haven't done our family's Christmas thing. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm starting. I'm like, no, I'm going to make a post today. And I made a post about, if, if you've seen this morning on Connect or Facebook, you made a post about being in church on the first Sunday of the year. And um, then I spent some time in prayer with the Lord. About 6 o'clock, Robin comes down, and she starts getting ready, making her coffee, and then I'm upstairs getting dressed and ready to go to get here at church, 7.30 or so, making sure everything's ready to go. It didn't take a lot of time to get this ready. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's not a small part of that pie, right? This is, this is you, you can't do much with this. Might as well not try, right? And so now I'm here. I'm serving and I think that's how we kind of look at it. We kind of look at, okay, I spent this much time in my devotions. I spent this much time in prayer, and I did some church service work, and then, and then the rest of my pie is, is my job, my place of employment, my life. You know, and, some, and for some of us, our pie, you're thinking, oh, my, my, my sliver was, it's a pretty good sliver, you know, that I gave to God. And some of you are sitting here thinking, man, if that's the case, my, my sliver is, is really, really, really small. That, that slice of the pie is just small. Can I propose another thought if we really love God and we really glorify him with our life? Did you know outside of small moments of failure that our pie could actually be whole? When it comes to glorifying him and serving him with our lives, it's, it, it's not separated from work. You don't go to work and then serve God at church on Sundays. You know, you don't go play at a basketball game or some sports event, and then your sliver of pie is, is church on Sunday. Your job is to be holy at your job. Your job is to live for Christ on the ball field and the way that you live and how you speak and react in certain situations. Your job is to live Christ at the family reunion. Your job is to be kind when others are not. So you're just not serving God just because you show up on the property on a work day and, and then try to put that sliver of pie and make it bigger. Our lives should be lived in a matter of glorification to God from the time we rise out of bed to the time we lay our head down at night. And when we understand who God is and what he has done for us, it is no hard thing uh, matter of fact, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of what he's done, that you'd present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love that verse. Reconciliation is our identification. Adoration should be a part of our identification. And then lastly, lastly, thirdly, um, separation 
Open your Bibles, if you would, to another uh, letter written to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And again, I think as you read this now, more is going to just kind of make sense. He, he is the same God. Notice, if, if the tabernacle focused on separation and, and if the tabernacle focused on adoration and, and the tabernacle focused on reconciliation, then, then we have to follow that same pattern in our own lives, identifying with Christ today. Notice what the Bible says. And I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to give the two points. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God. So, so this is an interesting passage. I want to focus on a couple words, and we're going to move through these. Notice at the beginning of verse number 14, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? So this is important. The word fellowship, in, in, in our minds, when I say, hey, let's fellowship, it means to hang out or to talk. Uh, I know it's an old churchy word. Kids wouldn't say that today. But uh, when you and I say fellowship, it means let's come together, eat, and talk. Okay, but, but the word fellowship here does not mean that. Uh, the word fellowship, and, and let me make a movie reference if I could. J.R. Tolkien, or a book reference. J.R. Tolkien wrote the books, The Lord of the Rings, and one of those is called The Fellowship of the Ring, which mean, meant this. Several players came together for one goal and one purpose, okay? It wasn't to eat, to hang out, and talk about a ring. It was to pursue the ring. It was to go after the ring together in a unified group, the fellowship of the ring. The reason is the word fellowship is the word for common goal or purpose, to, to be directed towards something. So, so, so watch, watch, please watch this. If, if we're going to be holy and come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and, and if we recognize that we're the temple of the Holy Ghost, notice what this verse means. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship or camaraderie, what, what direction do um, believers have with unbelievers or righteousness with unrighteousness? Look, look, look well, here, it means this. You and I can be friends with people that are lost, and we should. Uh, you and I can try to reach them for the gospel, and we can. But we're not going in the same direction. We, we don't have the same course. And so there's a separation from that concerning fellowship and direction. Okay, in every area of life, and that is so important. And 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 what communion, what what camaraderie hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? What agreement hath the temple of God? You, you just can't agree with idols. This is what I love about that story. Again, it's the identifier. There's a story in the Bible. Eli was the priest, and he was not a very good priest nor a good father. Because again, remember, God demands what concerning the tabernacle? What? 
holiness, okay? All right, but he was not a good dad, and he let his boys get involved in some sickening and perverse sexual things, and he did not correct them, and he did not um, punish them as he should have. And so God says, because of your lack to do that, and now the children of Israel have turned to idols and are involved in uh, sexual misconduct, um, you're going to be punished. And at that moment, uh, Samuel delivers that message, right? And so sure enough, um, the Philistines show up. Now, here's the crazy thing about the story. Uh, Israel's there. The Philistines are there. Israel brings the ark of God to battle, okay? And now the ark of God is is in battle, and not because God said they could, but they just thought that God was like a magic wand that they could use whenever they wanted to, even though they were living in what? Sin. Okay, so now they got the ark of God there, and they're going to faith. Now watch what happens, though. The Philistines, once they recognize God has shown up in tabernacle and the ark of God, tremble. They didn't tremble at the, at the Israelites. They trembled because God was on the scene, they thought. Right? And they're scared to death, man. They are panicking. They're nervous. They're wondering if they should go to battle. And sure enough, they decide, well, it doesn't matter. We're just going to try this. And they go to battle, and they actually defeat Israel, and they, they steal away the ark of God. And they bring it and they, uh, to Gath, and they set it up in their temple and, uh, with their other gods. And this is one of my favorite Bible stories. It really is. I have several of them that make me laugh, and this is one of them. So they, so they set the ark of God in the same temple as the other false gods and, or the one false god and, and, and they go to bed and they get up the next morning to come and worship their god and their god is now has fallen face first before the ark. Well, that's kind of crazy. I wonder if that was random or there's something up with this or I don't really know. And so they stand them back up and sure enough, the next day they go to bed and they come back the next morning and the, the idol has fallen down before Jehovah God again face down. And this whole process happens. They're like, no, we don't want anything to do with this. This is some messed up spooky stuff, right? Let's send it to the next city. And they keep passing the ark. Basically, long story short, they keep passing it down until they recognize that this thing is legit and there is a God in Israel and we're going to give it back. Look, watch. The presence of God is seen through the holiness of God so much so that the world should identify it when it shows up. And how are they going to see it if they don't see it to the believer? That same God is just as real today. He is just as powerful today. He is just on the scene today. And here in this passage, God is calling for his people. You can't have agreement. Two false God, false God and God can't hang out in the same place. One's going to be supreme or the other is going to be supreme. You cannot serve God and man, and you cannot have two gods. You need to choose this day who who you're going to serve. Choose him. It is the divider. It is the identifier in our lives. And and yet, um, we think God has changed. We think God really didn't mean what he said in the Old Testament, and he really didn't mean what he said in the New Testament when he's called his people to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. The old man has become what? New. Therefore, put away the things of the old man and live holy and righteously unto God. You say, I'm not convinced. Okay. Um, 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 13. 
the last passage today, 1 Peter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. I am not, trust me, I am not trying to be arrogant. I am trying to be clear. I'm trying to be clear. And if, if you think for one moment that this pastor stands here and says, hey, man, I've got this holiness thing whooped, um, you're, you're most fooled. And the same thing as I recognized who God is and grow daily, so must we also recognize the Word of God. And I, I do, I do sometimes in my flesh try to justify the things that I'm, I'm involved in so that it makes me feel better about myself, but it doesn't make me holier. And it keeps that division. And so as we come to this passage, it's just clear. I just, I just love when God is clear. The Bible says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So this is old, old English. So gird, really quick, is the idea they would wear robes, and if they wanted to run, in order to run effectively or to move effectively, they would gird them up. They would take the back, spin it around, grab the two pieces from the front, and then they would pull it up, creating a pair of shorts. Okay, best way to, to, to identify it, okay? So now the robe's no longer hindering the run. They've got a pair of shorts, and they would tuck it into their belt here, and they would be able to move effectively. So, so watch what he's saying. Gird up the loins of your mind. Bring everything together so that you can move effectively through this thought. Get it all, get it all ready. Tighten it up, okay? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be under control. Be, uh, excuse me, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Christ. The word revelation is not the word necessarily, although it is, uh, we understand that the word revelation means uncovering, but it's not talking about the book of revelation. It's talking about the uncovering of who Jesus is. So the hope that we get through knowing Christ and him being revealed to us, okay? As obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. You used to live like that before you knew better, right? There were things that you were involved in in your previous life before Christ, before his understanding, before you accepted him, uh, but, but, but now you know, okay? So, so watch. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but... As he which hath called you is what? What is God? He's holy. So be ye holy. As God who is holy has called you, you should be holy. Justify that. Justify it. Take, take the way we're living right now and find something and say, you know what? God's okay with that. Or he's not. That's it. According to Scripture, according to the Bible, and what I see throughout Scripture, the same God that is the same today, yesterday, forever, the, the, the things that were sins and, and the things that are sins now, uh, some of the things were laws that we're not bound to now because I know we can eat meat now that we couldn't eat then. And God set that stuff free. We understand all of that. There's some liberty there outside of the law. I get that. But the New Testament gives us some clear indication of what still is sin and still is unrighteous and we not to have communion with it. And so Try to justify that alongside of God's holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Now watch what he says next. Be ye holy, for I am holy, 
in all manner of conversation. Uh, that's the King James word for conduct. Your Bible might say conduct. Be ye holy in all manner of conduct. Wow. That's tough. But it's what is expected. And the way we talk and how we respond, that's conduct, right? Where we go, that's conduct. What we do, what we watch, what we hear, what we see, that's conduct. How we act toward people who've done us wrong, how we act toward people that we've wronged, that's conduct, right? All, all, all manner of conduct, all manner of living, okay? Because it is written. Why do I need to do that? Because it is written, be ye ready. What's the word? Holy. For I am holy, saith the Lord. Guys, look, I know. You say, Pastor, you're, trying, you're making us feel like we can't do anything. Okay? Um, it would be great if some of us would just do some things. And that sounds like a cop-out answer. But look, I know we can't live sinlessly in sinless perfection on this earth because Paul himself said, that which I would do, I, I don't, and that, that which I should do, I don't, and that which I, I, I do, I shouldn't. And, 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 and I get there's this war raging inside of us. But instead of saying, well, we're not perfect, we're just forgiven. Okay, is that true? Is that true? We're not all perfect, but we're forgiven. But you and I both know the reason you say that is to make you feel better about the wrong that you've done. Right? Why don't we say, you know what? I am not perfect, but I'm going to strive for the mastery, for the calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to reckon myself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Christ. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to live holy, for he is holy and not just excusing to get by. Why? Because your brother matters and your coworker matters and because the name of Christ matters. We have been called to make a difference for the kingdom and you and I now have the privilege of being the temple of the Holy Ghost. Our lives do matter. What we do matters. If it doesn't matter to anybody else, it matters to him. And if it matters to him, it ought to matter to us. Father, I pray that you would help us wrap our minds around this truth. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about him and as you study his word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.